Glad you're listening. My name is Mike Campbell. You're listening to Money Talks. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. In other words, you get paid first. No fees attached, and it's in the tech sector. For more information, go to soleraclub.com. Today I'm going to start with an email that says, in quotes, my stupidity is infuriating, end of quote. It was in response to my comment last week about Hillary Clinton's decision to oppose the Keystone Pipeline in order to siphon support from Barry Saunders, who's been making huge gains at her expense. Now, in my comment, I reminded listeners that the State Department, which did a significant portion of the research while Hillary Clinton was the head of it, concluded that Keystone would make no difference to CO2 emissions given that oil would simply be transported another way. And transport by rail has much higher CO2 emissions than pipelines. So on to the uh, email. It comes from Shane Ernst. A pat on the back to Shane for having the integrity to use his real name. Here's his message in quotes. I believe science, fossil fuels, are killing our atmosphere. You have your head stuck in the sand. Your stupidity infuriating. We don't want to build all that pipeline infrastructure because it means an even more difficult transition to a carbonless society. And then in big letters, all caps, lots of exclamation points, do you get it? Canada needs solar powers, geothermal, windmills, and some natural gas. Another dollar spent on anything else is a dollar in the wrong direction and essentially wasted, end of quote. Although I'm not sure how he intends to transport natural gas. But first of all, I absolutely do get it. I've been saying for years that it's disingenuous for pipeline opponents to suggest that they're against like a Northern Gateway or a Keystone or a Kinder Morgan, when in fact, as Shane states, they're against all pipelines. The disagreement I have with that point of view is that it's not realistic. He has no evidence to support his view that rejection of Keystone or any of the other proposed pipelines will result in dramatically reduced use of fossil fuels. Yet I have plenty of evidence to support the view that petroleum products are going to be consumed in massive amounts. I suspect I can start with his own lifestyle, and certainly the lifestyle of the biggest name global warming advocates. Come on, anyone who eats food, buys goods, has got them transported with the use of gasoline, diesel, or jet fuel. The majority of goods we consume, you could be paint, it could be toothbrushes, antifreeze, some clothing. Hey, they're petroleum-based. The list is massive. You've got the faculties at UBC and SFU. You've got Naomi Klein, celebrities like Neil Young, David Suzuki, and Hillary Clinton. They haven't sworn off cars or air travel or petroleum products. And in many cases, they own multiple homes. And in fact, these celebrities have this massive... CO2 footprint. And that's the problem that Mr. Ernst and his fellow advocates seem unable to grasp. It's a demand problem, not a supply. Or especially not how that supply is transported. As long as there's demand, petroleum or any other product is going to get produced and then it's going to be transported. And that's clearly been the case. There's an avalanche of data that illustrates that the results of no pipelines has just simply been increased transport by rail. The latest numbers from the National Energy Board detailed that in the first quarter, for example, of 2012, 16,000 barrels a day were exported by rail. By the way, in 2007, that number was basically zero. But by 2012, it had jumped to 16,000 in the first quarter. 
Less than two years later, the amount had skyrocketed to 146,000 barrels. That's a 900% increase. In June, there's a report by the Canadian Energy Research Initiative. They project that due largely to transport of oil by rail, that rail traffic is going to increase 44% in Western Canada, 39% in Eastern Canada over the next eight years. I, I could just keep going on with these stats because they are just simply the reality that oil is going to get transported, but first it gets consumed. When the people who oppose pipelines swear off, make a personal sacrifice, and say no to air travel, to the purchase of goods that are actually transported through, it might be rail, it might be uh, truck, and it might be jet, they've got to reduce their carbon footprint in a dramatic way. But they're not even prepared to do it. As I said, there's a ton of stats to support my view that it's going to get consumed, so it's going to get transported. And much to the anger of people like Shane Ernst, I'm not going to ignore those facts. That's the essence of the disagreement. I'm not going to ignore the facts. He's prepared to. But there's one other aspect to his response that I want to quickly mention. Mr. Ernst displays one of the principal characteristics and fatal flaws of the progressive left, and that is, in their minds, there's only one point of view. Theirs. Only one to consider. Theirs. All others are stupid and not worth considering. They don't welcome opposing views or critical analysis. And in fact, woe be it to anyone who questions even the slightest aspect of their agenda. I mean, goodness gracious. David Suzuki declared on two separate occasions that anyone who disagrees with his climate change agenda should be in jail. Usually that level of certainty has been reserved for a deity, but maybe they think and confuse the two with themselves. They think they have a monopoly on intelligence, a monopoly on morality, which makes respectful exchange of ideas unnecessary, which renders people like myself who still insist on actually using their critical faculties, it renders people like myself in the eyes of self-selecting elites infuriating and stupid, to use Mr. Ernst's own words. Well, if it's any consolation, Shane, I infuriate every elitist in this country. You should read some of these emails. And many think that I'm far worse than stupid for just simply asking the question or pointing out facts. I'll take a break. I'll come back. Hey, what are the top three stories that smart people are talking about? Also, I've got Mike's big fat idea coming up in the investment, something to put on your radar screen. I've got Jeff Olin. So much coming your way. Stay with us right here on Money Talks. Speaking of infuriating, Michael Levy is now joined by the exceptionally stupid Mike Campbell with the top three stories of the week. Mike, what's number three? Well, Mike, you know, taking a look this week, I, we, we obviously, and I'll do this quickly, could have gone with the Fed and interest rates and U.S. employment numbers, and it just seems to be the same song, almost the same tune. But something stood out with me this, this week, and that was a number of stories on changing demographics, changing technology, changing economic landscape, and it's all about change. And my number three story this week is McDonald's is trying to find their place in a changing world with up to, catch this, Mike, if you order it properly, a $50 hamburger. 
<laughs> I know. It's, an, it's really interesting. We, of course, have had this massive trend toward personalization. You know, uh, technology has allowed that, for example, in so many other ways. Uh, but I love when I hear this that McDonald's is taking this thing. Can you elaborate a little bit for me, Mike? Well, well Mike, what they're doing is they're trying to catch up with the likes of Panera, with the likes of Chipotle and other fast food restaurants and destinations that are playing to a uh, uh, universe that wants to eat healthier, that wants to eat tastier, that wants better quality. And they've been, uh, McDonald's has lost their way in the last several years. You can see that by the results, the financial results. So what they're coming with, and they've started this in Australia where it's up and running, and in the UK where it's up and running, where you're going to be able to go to a kiosk self-serve and electronically order a better burger. Now, the main price for that burger is going to be $5.99. And just to show what you could do, the CEO of McDonald's Canada showed the example of going up and uh, ordering a uh, custom Angus burger for $9.26. And that included blue cheese and guacamole fries and a nice coffee and mike if you were to put that out to a consumer and say does that sound like mcdonald's boy they would think that you were talking about some other restaurant and some other world well of course that's the approach also that five guys burgers and fries takes with their burger you warm up and you got all this list and you uh, kind of add it on which is kind of interesting the other aspect i know we got other things to talk about mike but very quickly is a key to that is self-ordering kiosk this is one of the trends that just frustrates the heck out of me in the way that we continue to ignore it. I know you did something earlier this week where we had, I think it was five provinces raise their minimum wage. I have, well, I have a huge debate about that, but I really have a problem that nobody talks about the impact in terms of technological substitution. And self-ordering tablets, whether it's Applebee's, whether it's McDonald's, is a huge story that we continue to ignore because of political convenience, or it might be ignorance. But that's another aspect to that story that I found interesting, Mike. What about the Royal Dutch uh, story number two? Yeah, I, I, I will get to that in one sec, Mike. And just to say, our, our number one story is exactly on the point that you just hit. But back to number two, Royal Dutch Shell is going to halt exploration in the Arctic. And, Mike, it's not because of environmental concerns. Of course, they're concerned about the environment. But it is concerning. They've been uh, testing a well, trying to uh, extract enough oil out of one well that they've uh, uh, drilled, and they have said they are, they are walking away from a $7 billion investment. They are just capping the well and walking away. It's for a lot of reasons, and it has a lot of ramifications, Mike. Mike, obviously that's got to be impacted by, you know, when oil's sitting there at $45, $46 or something. You know, when they start making this kind of approach, they were looking at 90 to $100. Absolutely, Mike. And, uh, you know, it's not so bad for them from a business point of view to abandon it because uh, it is so expensive to develop. And one of the major, if not the major reason, is $50 a barrel or $45 a barrel oil. And it's not just Shell, it's all their peers. They're curbing the spending because oil has slumped 50% in the past year. And they're walking away. I mean, this is going to be a $3 billion hit to Royal Dutch Shell's balance sheet coming up in this quarter. Wow, on top of, I mean, that's going to be, I mean, just part of that sea of red ink that's flowing, obviously, in uh, a lot of oil producers right now. Uh, what's your number one story? Oh, th this is a huge story, and it may not sound like it on the surface, Mike. 
what's happening with the Canadian banks. National Bank Financial um, is uh, uh, going to um, have to, A, or well, not have to, they are laying off 400 people, and that's a lot for National Bank Financial Canada's sixth largest bank. Uh, and that's because of the downturn in the economy. The downturn in their investments within the bank is really taking its toll. But, Mike, that's just half the story. The other half is is they're going to have to go out to the market and sell over 7 million shares at about $42 a share uh, to raise $300 million because they want to raise their Tier 1 capital ratio of about nine and a half percent what does that mean it means a dilution for every shareholder of national bank across the country because there's going to be more shares out there in the universe and that's going to drive the price and has driven the price down I'll come back to that in one sec, but alluding to what you said earlier Mike one of the other untold stories when it comes to technological substitution is, uh, you know, for jobs, is, of course, automatic tellers and the reduction in that whole business model. Or, you know, 15 years ago, that was an occupation. Now, of course, it's increasingly been phased out. Like, there's literally less than half the number of people engaged in that kind of thing, whether it's a teller, and it's because of online banking, automatic telling, that kind of stuff. It's, again, I just can't get that story on the agenda when we start talking about jobs. A, A whole election campaign talking about jobs, Nobody's talking about technological substitution. But I'll tell you uh, but let's who come is, back. Mike. Sorry. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you who is on a big scale is Scotiabank. They already mm-hmm. have exceeded, or they're going to exceed the $150 million cost-cutting target they set for its Canadian operations because they've hit it easily, and they're going to go even further. But what was part of that $150 million cost-cutting? They laid off 1,500 people. And they're warning right now there are more to go. And why, Mike? Well, number one, in this environment, the banks are not going to continue to be as successful as what they were because of the economics of Canada. But the other is technology, just what you said. It's because they can replace these tellers with technology, have found that it's working very quickly, and now they are going to a step that they didn't even think that they would go to. They're going to cut more in the way of jobs to save even more money. Good stuff as always, Mike. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Mike. Mike Levy, top three stories that smart people are talking about. Stay with me. I've got Mike's big fat investment idea coming up. Stay with us. Looking forward to this. I've got Jeffrey Olin coming up, president of Vision Capital Corporation. Got a great track record. I got to get some info on him or from him, rather, on what's going on in these investment markets. Right now, though, it's time for Mike's Big Fat Idea. Joining me on the line, I've got Brent Woyett. He's a portfolio manager at Canada Genuity, uh, Canaccord, rather, Genuity Wealth Management. Uh, first of all, Brent, thanks for taking the time. What do you think we should be putting on our radar screen? Uh, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, you know, what I want to talk about today is energy stocks, and the reason is because there's been a lot of um, volatility in the markets and sector rotation going on, and uh, there's a lot of talk about the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. And if we look back to the cycle in 1986, 1987, where they had a gradual tightening cycle, um, what we found was that during that period, in the six months leading up to the first Fed hike, Canadian energy stocks traded higher by about 18%, but even more dramatic were the gains in the six months following that rate hike, uh, where they rallied by over 50%. 
Uh, give me a couple of names. I'm not, you're not recommending them. You don't know everyone's portfolio, but the kind of thing I want to put in my radar. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're looking at valuations. Um, you know, we're large cap value managers, um, and this is the area we focus on with our clients' money. Um, so we're looking at, um, you know, uh, buying strong balance sheets at depressed prices. So there's a lot of companies out there, um, the producers, the service companies, but the ones that are most interesting to us are the integrated companies, the larger ones. So, I mean, there's a way of playing it. You can um, use uh, an ETF. Uh, such as the iShares Energy ETF. You can own, own a broad basket of the Canadian energy companies. So this provides good diversification, diversification at a low cost in one transaction. Um, but for those you know, that like to own individual stocks, um, you know, we want to uh, take a look at the companies like Suncor, Sonovus, Imperial Oil, Husky Energy. Okay, very quickly, what's the uh, symbol for the iShares Energy ETF? Uh, the symbol is XEG, and that trades okay. on the TSX. Now, when you look at something like this, obviously this is a contrary uh, bet in terms of, obviously, the oil stocks. I mean, one of the things I'm sure must be attractive to you is that they've had such a kicking. You know, I mean, so they're very, very low. When you're talking about this, what's the broad kind of risk category? I mean, what kind of a person, and again, we know you don't know the specifics of their portfolio, but you kind of consider this a long-term growth kind of deal, or what is it? Yeah, like I said, I mean, these are cyclical stocks. Um, and like I said, after the, the rate hike um, previously, um, you know, the stocks rallied about 50% in the first six months. So I'm not going to say that's going to happen again. But if we look at 2009 to 2011, during that two-year period, um, the energy stocks you know, uh, gained about 100% over that time frame. So you could be looking anywhere from six months to a couple of years on a, on a transaction like this. Are you looking for an entry point or kind of we're just generally there now? I think we're generally there now. I mean, um, technically, the shares are actually starting, or the integrated anyways, are starting to look quite good on the charts. Um, Suncor has definitely been the strongest. Um, Synovus has gone from 16 to 20 since uh, late August. So we're starting to see some uh, decent price action. So I think everything, the bad news is, is baked into the price already, I think. Uh, as I say, it's an interesting thing. I mean, as, as you do with your clients, of course, Brent, you know, you first establish, okay, where does this fit in my portfolio? What's the risk that I'm taking? And what's my time frame? I mean, those seem to, me, uh, seem to be the key components when you're really evaluating any position. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, and, you know, we diversify our portfolios with at least 15 to 20 companies across various industry groups. So, you know, because our, and most of our clients are fairly conservative in nature, we stick with the larger, um, you know, well-capitalized companies. Uh, so that's what we're looking at right now. Brent Wyatt is a portfolio manager at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. My thanks, Brent. Appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Talk to you soon. i got to take a break. I'm coming back, though. I've got Jeff Olin uh, looking forward to this. Uh, Vision Capital. Jeff's had a terrific track record. I, a lot of it, uh, you know, the real estate side of things, I think you're going to be interested in this. I've got lots of questions about where the action is, where to stay away from commercial, residential, uh, talking about his fund. I've also got a great Goofy Award for you today. Kind of like, what are you thinking kind of Goofy? Plus, a shocking stat that I think is pivotal to understanding what's going on in the economy today. All of that coming your way right here across the Chorus Radio Network. You're listening to Money Talks.